Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What is up, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, I am joined by strength coach Matthew Ibrahim. Matt is a mobility guru, and he is one of the smartest coaches out there in corrective exercise and bridging that gap between high-performance and physical therapy-esque programming. On this episode, we are going to get into stretching, foam rolling, mobility, corrective exercises, and exactly how to implement these strategies into your training programs. All right, guys, let's jump right into it today with Matthew Ibrahim. Hey guys, we are going to get right into it here on Strength Doc Podcast today. I'm Dr. John Russin, and I have mobility guru Matthew Ibrahim with me today. What's going on, Matt? What's going on, John? Thanks for having me on, man. Now, you are the man when it comes to mobility, corrective exercises, and really getting the most out of your athletes, not only in performance, but also in injury prevention. So I have three things that I really want to be asking you about and picking your brain about today, which are stretching, foam rolling, and then your cream of the crop, which is mobility. So, you know, just getting into it, I know you're a strength coach, you're working kind of as a hybrid coach right now in a physical therapy practice, but also working with personal training and small group training. Where does stretching fit into your program development and how you use it with your athletes and your rehab clients? Good question. I think it's, you know, it's definitely a hot topic, John, that, you know, you write about a lot. Um, in your weekly articles and kind of we see a lot in the media and I think it, it often gets kind of misconstrued or confused but I think this, the most simple thing is you know I saw this the other day in an article somewhere or, or in a post and it was so simple yet so genius and it says okay like what's the point of warming up literally to warm up like it's that simple so I mean, you know, I think we've obviously like beat, you know, beaten the uh, the drum, so to speak, in terms of, okay, we know it's not good to quote unquote static stretch prior to lifting or power output or, you know, strength demands or, you know, to express, you know, um, elastic capabilities and so on and so forth. And it's good to kind of do that afterward and do your dynamic, more uh, movement based, you know, mobility kind of movement preparation um, and movement skills kind of warm up prior to those events. But I think to be more specific versus kind of being kind of general about that is it okay to do some basic activation stretching or you know like you know act um ais stuff or you know just basically turn the light switch on for the glutes the core the breathing so on so forth in a static or still manner prior to lifting and power yeah i think that's okay but more importantly toward the middle and toward the end of your warm-up, you must be moving you must be activating a central nervous system must be going through dynamic movement patterns um, you know, moving a distance, you must be sweating a bit, little bit, getting your, you know, internal, um, you know, temperature risen. That's the more important piece. So it's not illegal by any means to do some form of uh, minimal static stretching um, or activation um, in your warm up, but you want that to be at the very beginning and very minimal, and it must be followed up by 
um, you know, movement based mobility, warming up, movement preparation, um, you know, marching drills, anything that's going to get the tissues kind of going and moving up and, and your temperature warmed up. That's the most important piece. Um, and in terms of, you know, where else I put it in, um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, intraset mobility or, or intraset, intraset stretching. For example, if we're doing some sort of hip hinge pattern or, you know, something that, uh, an exercise that requires, you know, hip external rotation or hip torque, um, it's not a bad idea, for example, if I'm deadlifting or doing a hip hinge exercise to in between those um, working sets to get a little bit of, you know, what, what you what the yoga world would call a pigeon or just a knee under chest. I like to call it hammer nail. Basically get the, the external um, rotators, the glutes, stretching you know, anywhere from 15, 20 seconds per side. That's, that's not going to hurt because if you look at it from a perspective of you know, physical therapy or rehab, the whole point behind PT or even chiropractic or you know, sports medicine for a better term is you apply a modality – and you fold it up with movement. In a nutshell, that's how it should work once you know um, clients are cleared for you know low-level exercise. So the modality is your stretch, your mobility drill, your breathing drill, your activation drill, corrective exercise, whatever you want to call it. Your movement is your ability to get more space. So you have that you have an open window to get more range of motion in. So that's how I view it in terms of exercise and training. Um, so by all means, I do them in between sets, in between working sets rather. And you know, you get a big bang for your buck uh, post-training or even later on in that day just kind of for recovery purposes. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to break this down a little bit to what you said right at the beginning where you know, it's almost frowned upon in the industry now. Like if you're a coach and you're static stretching your guys before – lifting before training or even before competition you are like a fucking idiot you are just yeah. viewed as like the sin of all sins in the strength and conditioning world but do you really think it's that bad to be doing some static stretching like is it going to kill your gains no I, I don't i don't think so at all i think it's been kind of bastardized because you know like all these research articles and publications uh, you know i really think that you know, people kind of blow it out of proportion. Um, Eric Cressy made a really good comment on Facebook, or I don't know where I saw it. It was the other day. Where it's okay, well, you have research-based articles and you have in-the-trenches experience. Who's right, who's wrong? It's, it comes down to the same equation all the time. It's a little bit of both sides. You know, meet somewhere in the middle. So, you know, research-based stuff is great and all, but there, it isn't always the same specific population we're working with and, and all those other kind of principles that, that fall into those categories. So how I look at it is this. If it's if, if static stretching is done at the beginning of your warm up keyword warm, um, that's all right. But key factors here: keep it minimal, keep it at the beginning, and it must be followed up with movement based mobility, warming up the tissues, and actually getting warm. Um, you know, getting the central nervous system fired up, getting your patterns going, moving through the patterns you're going to be expressing in your actual lift in your training. And then that's okay. That's how I view it. And again, by all means, can be done in between training sets or intraset mobility, or I'm sorry, intraset stretching. And by all means, can definitely do be done afterward. I think the biggest thing, John, is is you know we all look at things. Uh, it's almost like we have one telescope, but when it comes down to it, everyone has their own telescope. So we all we shouldn't j do things based on what you know so and so is doing or, or whatever you know other person is doing you really have to be, put it on a an individualized case by case or client by client or even athlete by athlete basis because you know the big thing is what is your intent what is your purpose if you know athlete x 
has, you know, naturally quote unquote tight hips or, you know, misaligned pelvis or, you know, quote unquote tight hamstrings or et cetera, et cetera. Does it make sense to give him more of those kind of um, what you would deem uh, quote unquote stretching techniques, you know, prior to, in between and post um, training versus, you know, athlete Y who's a, you know, physical freak of nature who's mobile and strong and powerful doesn't really need more of that stuff well then that's a case-by-case basis where you would add more of that stuff in but i think you have to delicately design these training programs and performance training programs where it has to be in order like standard operations and procedure it has to be in order based on the, the specific power output and demands of that training session if i'm doing a low level you know what you know aerobic um aerobic capacity mobility day well i'm not i don't need power output i don't need to express that that you know that power uh, elastic capability it's okay to add stretches in, in between corrective exercise mobility soft tissue recovery drills breathing drills etc etc but if i'm going to go hang clean power clean uh you know deadlift snatch uh, whatever lifting output you're working with does it make much much sense to do a static stretch right before uh, you know a power exercise? I'm not so sure that's going to work out in your favor. You need those elastic capabilities. You need those muscles and those tendons and ligaments and you know et cetera, et cetera, working in in an area where they're power and they can express those elastic capabilities. So again, what is your intent? What is your purpose? And kind of move along those lines. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things that I debate with myself, uh, the way that I program for my athletes, because, you know, it's no secret that I hate stretching, static stretching specifically. But that being said, prefacing it with that, I do think that there is a place and a time for pre-training stretching. And, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about static stretching, quote unquote, like you're saying, is that people don't actually know where, you know, these rumors, these myths of static stretching actually came from, from, you know, making the tissue less explosive, uh, increasing the elongation of the specific tissues that you're targeting. Really, uh, that comes back to about 20 years ago. There's a research study that showed like passive static stretching for minutes at a time on specific tissues. Like no shit. If you hold something for three, four, five minutes yeah. and then try to go be an explosive right after, there's no chance that you're going to be able to have, you know, that same market explosiveness as if you didn't do that. But, you know, if you're holding for 10, 15, 20 seconds, up to 30 seconds, and you follow it up like you've been saying with the rest of your dynamic warm-up, you know, most static stretching, it only lasts 10 to 15 minutes anyways. So by the time you get out of your dynamic warm-up, the, like, the supposed uh, elongation of those tissues, that's far gone. Yeah. But if you can somehow derive better movement quality from any type of modality, whether it be stretching, foam rolling, as we're going to be talking about in a little bit here, really anything, mobility drills, activation. I think if you can use those as an individual and you can see as a coach, your clients are getting better movement quality in the big loaded movements, in the big dynamic movements in a training session or even on the field. I think that's worth taking a look at and going against the grain a little bit in the industry. Well, and, and I agree. I mean, and that's, and you're right on that, the research. I mean, it, it, that's along the same lines of, you know, from what I, have, what I have heard with the research, like saying, you know, okay, tissue change only really shows after two minutes of that, that, I guess, what you would deem that static hold. So, and you're right. So you're, you're spot on there, John. So I think the big thing is if people just really, you know, delicately, delicately design their programs and organize them in such a way that, 
it's progressive in nature toward that more um, that goal of okay power output strength demands etc cetera, etc cetera, like basically priming the system for the actual lift I think we'll have a better outcome and, and not worrying so much about the specific X and O X's and O's and what's right what's wrong well what works best if if you know if it works if it works well and you have good um, success with it keep rolling with that so that's a big thing so I think um, rather than you know falling in line with what everyone believes oh well this is how they always done it well no if something works and it it, it it's shown a consistent rate of success well do that thing I mean that's that to me seems so basic in logic but I think people overlook that because they're so concerned with what other professionals will think of them well hey it, it, you know this is exercise this is fitness this is training it's been around for ages we're not, nothing we're doing is new here we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel but at the end of the day if something works go with what works best that's that's kind of my simple approach to things yeah yeah and with stretching uh, you know going back to like PT school 101 Anytime that you assess somebody or evaluate an athlete, a client, whoever it may be, and they show up with a dysfunction, literally a mobility dysfunction, uh, there's any type of modality you can use to correct that dysfunction. And a lot of people get, I think, get confused in the dynamic warm-up because they don't know if they have mobility restrictions or motor control uh, dysfunctions. They don't know if they're moving well or they're moving like pure shit. They're just going through an arbitrary warm-up that may be designed for somebody else. But if somebody rolls in and they have great mobility and their flexibility is out of this world, uh, you know, their joints are nice and centrated all the time, you know, you need a very minimal warm-up. And static stretching, you could uh, put your time better places in your programming. But, you know, if somebody comes into the gym and they roll in and you have a hip hinge pattern loaded for the day on the schedule for their training and, you know, they can't touch their toes, they can't do a hip hinge, just body weight. You know, you might want to be going through and utilizing some static stretches, some <laughs> dynamic stretches early on in that pre-training routine just so we can yield better movement quality later on. And again, you know, that gives you more practice opening up those ranges of motion that are currently being restricted to, you know, may it not translate into your function? Maybe, maybe not, but you have more, uh, you know, CNS development in greater movement capacity because you are getting into those new ranges of motion. And really, there's no uh, there's no scar tissue buildup or these hugely tonic, tight muscles that need to be stretched out. It's not a mechanical issue. It's just getting you out of neural lock and just having that mind-muscle connection being able to really yield some good mobility. Yeah, man. <laughs> so no, with so with the stretching so uh you see let's give you an arbitrary case here you know you see somebody come in they can't achieve full hip extension uh you know it's clear it's pretty marked dysfunction uh in terms of pre-training routine and more so on the stretching what kind of stretches would you give that because that's a very very common dysfunction that we see all the time i mean yeah that's i mean that's why i think you know in all of our assessments were you know at least 
from my point of view, through my movement assessments, not orthopedic because I'm not a PT, but through my movement assessments or fitness assessments, what you would call them for my fitness clients and athletes, you know, I want to see their toe touch, you know, bilateral, unilateral. I want to see if they can, you know, how they, do they shift the hips? Is it more of um, lumbar flexion? Like what's going on when they're hinging and how far do they get? And then in relation to their actual hinge pattern, because that tells you, that tells us a lot in terms of, okay, can this person pull from the floor? Can they RDL? Can they deadlift? Can they, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the big things I look at in terms of pieces I add, because like you said, we see this so often, oh, you know, Joey comes, athletes, you know, we have an athlete named Joey, whatever, he comes in and says, oh, you know, my, my hamstrings are quote unquote tight, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So common and more often than not, it's more of a, you know, it's more of an issue of, you know, pelvic alignment, um, rib cage sitting over the, the pelvic bowl and so on and so forth and kind of it yanking on the hammies and the hammies being quote unquote turned on for too long, not being able to uh, kind of turn off that, that high tonic state and so on and so forth. So the big things I look at in a very simple manner are, uh, I, first I want glute activation. I want to isolate glute activation in terms of glute bridge and all those type of things. But in terms of stretching, uh, single leg lowers, I, I work in a, a ton in my you know basic starter programs. Um, the big thing too with that, you know, I know I know we see different variations with the band and all that stuff, and those things are great. But I think the big thing for me, and in terms of having an athlete truly understand the basic things I want, I always put them up against a wall. So imagine. I'm lying flat on the ground, I'm facing up, and there's a wall that splits essentially through my the middle of my body, so my crotch line essentially, okay? So one of my legs is is flat, straight up on the wall, um, trying to have my, my leg as straight as possible. I'm not, I'm not crushing to have my knee straight or my leg straight rather, but I'm trying to keep it straight and relatively relaxed. Um, closer to the wall is, is obviously more of a stretch in the hammies. Further away is less of a stretch, kind of feel out what works well. I like to work with a, let me, let me, I want you to feel a five out of 10 stretch or flexibility on, the, on that hammy that's on the wall. Other leg goes straight flat in the ground and you're essentially just lowering it up, slow and controlled. Hands on ASIS, keeping your pelvis flat on the ground. You want to feel a, a little bit of slight activation in, in your core, and we want to keep those hips down. We, we don't want to lose what we're trying to gain here in terms of pel pelvis is you know in a good fixed position, and our hammies or rather our, our femurs actually going up and down. So the big thing I look at is I'll add in those pieces, you know, multiple sets, especially prior to, in between, and after a lift. I think the more the merrier with that teaching the athlete where they want their hamstring, their hips to be and how the core can function with that. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, post-recovery stretching, like three-way three, three -way, um, uh, band or three-way strap stretch. For the hamstring, just a straight stretch, um, you know, having your, your leg off to the side for IT band, kind of that lateral hammy, and then obviously the adductors and the groin area having your, your leg to the other side. Um, in terms of other variations of hip hinging, you know, the big thing I, I want to see too is – I really want them to own their pelvic core rib cage position. So I, I can snag that through, you know, RKC plank, which I know that you and I are huge fans of. Yep. Creating tension in the core, allowing the hammies to kind of, you know, do you know, let, let, really allowing the glutes to do their job, letting the hammies to really be in better alignment with the pelvis rather than being yanked, hanging hang in lumbar extension, not really knowing where they need to be in space. So um, I think those those low-level, you know, wall 90-90 breathing drills, um, that RKC plank and that kind of single-leg lowering and the three-way um, strap stretch, stuff like that tends to help them understand where they need to be. 
Also, you know, their static standing position, you know, how are they standing, how are they walking, their moving um, gait pattern, stuff like that. So those are, those are kind of little pieces I look at, but, um, and you could obviously add in, you know, soft tissue stuff with foam rolling, but I think I'll, I'll wait on that for later <laughs> on this podcast up in there as well. Yeah, yeah. So I challenge you because uh, all of those uh, different exercises that you mentioned, I'm familiar with them. I program them all the time, but I would almost consider those mobility and corrective exercises and not stretch. So I would challenge you to say, like, do you use any static stretching that may be passive in nature in your programming? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely where they apply, you know, um, you know, specific to the hammies, you know, I'm not going to have someone do necessarily, you know, uh, you know, toe touches in between. But um, I'm a fan, John, of, you know, this whole phenomenon of breathing and PRI and all that stuff. And I think it's great, but I think too many people kind of go overboard with it. I'm a fan of if you're already doing stretching well or you know mobility well, whatever you want to call it. If you're just adding a bit of breathing into those ranges, you know, I, 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 I you definitely, from what I've gathered, you definitely see changes in tissues and changes changes in a pe- person's ability to get kind of get more range, so to speak. So, um, I guess what you would deem the static stretches that I do, you know, prior to, in between, or after, um, especially prior to and in between, they're more along the lines of. I'm adding a breathing component in there. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to have some. Okay, like let's just do a toe touch and just hold. Or you know, uh, if, if we're doing a, an adductor, you know, mob, it's really going to add a bit of movement or and or a bit of breathing in there. I don't necessarily do just holds. Okay. Now, I think when people see the term static stretching, they automatically their minds go to some dude rolling into the gym like throwing his leg up on the leg press and like stretching one hamstring at a time, just like with a pure shitty pelvic position, lumbar rounding. And then he goes and touches his toes with that same lumbar position. And then, you know, he might stretch out the calf a little bit and then do the the notorious standing uh, quadricep stretch, you know, holding the ankle. And when it comes down to that kind of stuff, there, there's really no time and place for that because nope. you nailed it with the pelvic position and how it integrates with the rib cage and the core and spinal positioning. And from what I've seen is that everyone who tries to static stretch, whatever that may mean, they try to do so in a manner that they really just crank the tissues down to the point where they're not even hitting the contractile musculature and tendons anymore. It goes right into that tenoosseous junction. You start sitting out on the joint capsules and just irritating those joints because one, you're not in a good, uh, you know, centrated position at the hips if you're, you know, going in on uh, that joint and targeting those joints. Uh, You're rounding at the spine. You're literally targeting everything except for the tissues that you're working on and really pissing off the joints in the process. I just wrote an article last week for John Meadows Mountain Dog Diet site because I think with the aging lifter, a lot of the guys think, oh man, I need more stretching. I need more mobility work. But, you know, if your joints are already pissed off, your back's fucked, your hips are locked up, the last thing you possibly need is to be forcing yourself into these yogi-like positions and thinking that it's going to do anything for you in the squat rack or really even in your daily life trying to get out of pain. Yeah, I mean I, I totally see that and I kind of liken that to like, you know, would you try to bend a fork? I mean that's like literally what it, it – that's the analogy I see. I mean and the other thing too is it's it's – we're just wasting time here. Like you walk into a gym and you know, I have the, the, the lucky, 
um, uh, you know, the lucky fortune of, <laughs> um, you know, using still a commercial gym, um, not my preference, but it's, it's kind of what I'm working with now. Um, and it's one, it's a commercial gym where, well, you know, things that us as fitness and rehab professionals talk about a lot, like not so much in, in the sense of, Hey, like we're trying to talk down but more of like, Hey, look, like there are better solutions to what you're doing here. If you actually, you know, gave a shit and, and really, took care to your body versus just trying to like, you know, get swole or whatever you're trying to do in the gym because, you know, it's, it's the stuff we see is god awful and it, it makes, you know, it makes you want to help even more, but it's tough to help people when they don't want to be helped. But, um, you know, more along those lines, it, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're not only wasting time, but you're, you're right. We're not getting the, the tissue change we want, but all more than that, I just think it, it's, it's a misunderstanding of quote unquote what they need versus what they think they need. So um, that's where I think the educational piece comes into play. But again, you, you really you can you can only bring the horse to the water. You can't obviously make the the horse drink the water. So um, it's something that I you know see a lot, and I kind of hope changes. But um, there's only so much you can do in terms of you know providing content, articles, and such and, and stuff of that nature. But in terms of them wanting to read and actually get better, it, it's 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 a fine line between them doing and them not doing it. So, yeah, for sure, and that's that's a good segue with the the horse analogy there. <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna oh, we're gonna switch it in. I mean, we're kind of on the same point here, but you know, in terms of foam rolling, we could pretty much go over exactly what we went over. But instead of doing that, I'm gonna ask you just point blank: Are you using foam rolling and SMR techniques? before your training sessions for your athletes and yourself? No, not at all. Um, not that I don't think it has value or use, and by all means it does. But my, from what I've you know, looked at and time-wise and being efficient and getting the system primed, you know, you know, Tony Jentacor has written so much on this and Eric Cressy and, and yourself and so many other great authors, Brett Contreras, and what we see is, is, is point blank. Soft tissue, SMR, foam rolling based things definitely undoubtedly have a value. Where I program them them in though is is 99.9% of the time is for recovery or post-training or post-lift. That's just where I see them having the most bang for their buck. So what I mean by that is will I throw in if some – again, let's go back to that athlete named Joey. If he has relatively – you know, chronically tight hips, quote unquote tight hips, or, you know, external rotators that, you know, piriformis, et cetera, et cetera, that don't like to kind of so, you know, relax or kind of release from that tonic state. And it, it, it's something that he always deals with. Is it going to hurt to put a lacrosse ball on that and do some activation or contract relax techniques or just do some gentle, you know, flossing oscillations prior to a lift or prior to my activation and warm up? Well, hell yeah, why not? If it's going to help, let's do it. But am I going to am I going to have an athlete rolling around like they're rolling around in, in a slip and slide for half an hour before their warm up? Well, hell no, because in my opinion, a warm up, a good, a good. A warm-up that's dynamic in nature, it's progressive, and it gets you ready, it's quick, it's efficient, should only really last six to eight minutes. I think in some cases can be can be can be performed in even short in even shorter time if you're smart enough and intelligent enough and can and delicately design your training program where you can you know warm up in a shorter period of time and then add in some of those other uh, warm-up uh, techniques and drills in between your first working sets. So what I mean by that, if I break it down, a full warm, in my opinion, 
if, if you're training for an hour, it should be six to eight minutes. You should get everything done in that allotment of time. Now, if you're pushed for time and or you want to, you know, kind of do a, a little bit of the warm and kind of get the rest done during your initial working sets, somewhere in the, the four to six minute range should be adequate, but follow it up with, okay, let's say I'm squatting. I'll do my first set of squats, do a mobility drill. Do my second set of squats, do a mobility drill. Do a third set of squats, do a dynamic drill, so on and so forth until you've done, you know, your total six to eight minute slot. Now, that's what I look for in a warm-up piece. Um, and then again, adding those soft tissue, SMR, foam rolling stuff, um, definitely at the end. And in some cases can be done in between. Again, what's your intent? What's your purpose? So if they're delicately and specifically you know, added in in between in certain uh, periods and certain different lifts, by all means, let's do it. But 99.9% of the time, they're done at the end in my training programs. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I would say a majority of the SMR that I give are directly post-training, but also in a regeneration session later on that night or maybe on a standalone day itself. But, you know, the more time that goes by, the more dysfunctional athletes that I see with these huge deficits in their movement capabilities, I, I do think that if you can get a dysfunction and you can put, uh, you know, you can put an objective measure on it and know what you're dealing with, I think foam rolling or any SMR technique for that matter, it could play a, a piece in the dynamic warm-up sequence. But that being said, it has to be targeted. So it's not going to be, oh, you know, we're going to spend 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes on the foam roller going through every nook and cranny of your body. But if you're going back to the, the deadlift uh, scenario, if you're going to deadlift that day, you better be keying in on the hips. Maybe one, maybe two SMR techniques before you get into the rest of your dynamic warm-up could potentially, in theory, help you out. Again, it's going to be athlete to athlete uh, and the way it's going to work, but it could play a key role. And this is coming from a guy that, you know, I uh, last year I did... I went down to absolutely zero warm-up just to kind of set myself straight. I was spending about 15 to 20 minutes uh, in my warm-up strategies, my wife and I, before we trained. And I, we were getting a lot out of it. You know, we thought we were. And all of a sudden, I was challenged by a, a coach who's been on the Strength Talk podcast, Charles Staley, to really simplify in nature, especially with more of the PT-esque strategies that I was using in pre-training. And I went down to absolutely nothing before my training sessions. And honestly, after two months of that, I'd never felt better. Uh, my numbers were jumping up. My mobility was just as good, if not better. And I always wondered why that was. I was like, well, I'm not foam rolling anymore. I'm not stretching anymore. Doing very minimal corrective exercises. I, I always go back to thinking that, you know, yes, I am pretty symmetrical in nature. I don't have any huge dysfunctions, but that just goes to show if somebody is not presenting in dysfunction, like why fix them up? Like don't, fix it if it's not broken but in terms of foam rolling I've been since that time you know this is about nine months ago now that I did that experiment we've been going back in and doing little by little with correctives foam rolling stretching but most of those things are happening later on in the night because we train in the morning so we'll, we'll be remediating at night anywhere from five to 15 minutes a little bit roller a little bit of stretching and then one or two corrective exercises just to remediate what we worked on in that day's training session but you know it's very very minimal and like you said i think a majority of people that do move well don't need any smr they don't need any stretching pre-training but for the majority of people that just move like absolute shit, i think it could potentially play a role in getting them back to where they need to be eventually.
Yeah, no, and it's funny. So uh, I didn't know you had done that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you did that. No, I mean, I, it's funny. Like, I um, so you know, in my time working in PT clinics and in kind of rehab outpatient settings, you know, I was the guy who was like, oh, there's Matt. He's on his foam roller. And you know, within you know two to three years ago, oh, there's Matt. His foam roller. And you know, I think we've all been there at some point because again, we're all just trying to get better and learning. And what I was. Well, I was an idiot, obviously, but I was just wasting my time just rolling, rolling, rolling. Not that it didn't have value. Um, and most of these most of these times where I was rolling, it was on off days. It was on regeneration days. So, you know, I wasn't as dumb as I'm coming off right now. But my point is I was just doing it because, oh, well, it feels good. Well, doesn't just because something feels good doesn't mean it's always correct or helpful. So That's a great um, point. I you literally <laughs> – I jumped. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put the foam roller down for a bit. Um, and I literally went probably, you know, roughly in the similar range as you, eight to 12 months where I was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not banning a formal because I think it's wrong. Please don't take that, whoever's listening, but more of let me try to get what I need to get through movement-based stuff, through mobility, through recovery, and so on and so forth. And I think that was kind of the birth uh, or part of the birth of this whole, you know, um, my startup with Mobility 101 and all that stuff. But I think that helped me to learn other modalities and ways I can attack my movement um, asymmetries and kind of movement impairment uh, dysfunctions rather where I can kind of fix those and alleviate those areas and kind of uh, remediate like you're talking about as well. Um, if I can kind of piggyback forward still on this foam rolling soft tissue topic, you know, how often, number one, how often do we walk into a gym um, more specifically a sports performance training facility where the athlete walks in, you know, in their group training right after right after high school, right after school, they walk in at 2, 33 o'clock, they hop on the foam roller for anywhere from 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, we're bringing these athletes through, uh, through one and a half uh, to two hour workouts. In my opinion, those are very helpful, especially in the beginning process. But if they've already been in that 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 routine, that performance, that high performance training program for anywhere you know for a few months, does it make sense to still make them quote unquote be there for training for an hour and a half to two hours? I'm not so sure it does. I definitely think you know an hour and fifteen or maybe an hour and twenty uh, is is sufficient. But any more than that, well, I would offer and say, well, 15 to 20 minutes of that time might have been wasted foam rolling or kind of just literally rolling around on a roller, not really having any any intent. So I think as a whole uh, in the sports performance strength conditioning realm that we can kind of step our game up, so to speak, in terms of becoming more efficient for athletes and having more intent and uh, more of a, a bullseye focus on what the the goal is for that specific training session that day. Number two, uh, something that um, is is very something that I take very seriously and very professionally, and, I, and I'm I know yourself as a physio and other uh, physios, clinicians, and practitioners take with a high level of um, integrity and respect. Is if you're not licensed or uh, credentialed or qualified to put your hands on someone in a you know manual therapy fashion, you know through physical therapy, chiropractor, um, you know a med a medical doctor, you know. Massage therapist, uh, soft tissue therapist, et cetera, et cetera. You really have no business putting your hands on someone. But let me be specific here. So, if it's through you know perturbations or quote unquote nagging, or um, if it's resistance, you know manual resistance or manual assistance, or or external cueing or guiding the athlete or client into the position you want them to be in. By all means, these are all check marks. These are all green flags. Go. You're you're totally good at what you're doing. You're totally cool. This is acceptable. Um, but if you're putting your hands on a client or an athlete in terms of 
um, you know, manual therapy or, you know, soft tissue or even if it's your hands on a foam roller, which is d directly placed onto their back and you're rolling like that to me is it's it not only is it is it silly or unprofessional or just plain wrong it's just you're you're lowering the integrity of our field and these these are the type of people that we need to educate and say look you need to understand which hat you're allowed to wear and which hat you're not allowed to wear so something that i deal with on, on a daily basis and i think you know you're someone who knows a bit more a bit more about me because of, of you know our friendship in the past couple of years or so but you know I am not a physical therapist and I never try to act like I am although some of the content I provide comes off in that nature what I am is I assist and facilitate in a PT clinic as a strength conditioning coach and kind of you know a rehab coach whatnot and then I'm you know halfway through my, my massage therapy degree but by no means am I gonna you know try to pretend that I'm not something and try to um, you know use tools that I'm not allowed to use so I think um, if we know our roles in our in our fields, I think we can apply these soft tissue and foam rolling techniques um, where they should apply and whatnot. And also know that you know, as a manual or massage or physical therapy, uh, you know, a physical therapist, you know, these are the individuals that are, have the ability and the licensure to you know put hands on others in terms of assisting for foam rolling or assisting for you know. A manual assistance, manual resistance, manual techniques, um, you know, soft tissue modalities, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not licensed there, it really confuses me as to why, you know, you're doing such things if it's if it's not something you're licensed in. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's something I think that um, collectively we can become better at as, as, as a community of fitness and rehab professionals. Yeah, that and it is totally 100% illegal if you do not hold a license in your state to manipulate soft tissue. So you could literally get uh, litigation taken out. So I, I speak a lot to this because I run a lot of uh, my seminars that touch upon, you know, bridging the gap between performance and physical therapy. And a lot of the trainers wanting to really step up their skill sets and almost act as, uh, you know, a pseudo physical therapist that really works on some movement dysfunctions, this and that, that could possibly, you know, keep people between rehab and training, you know, somewhere in between there. But... You know, where a little goes, people want more and more and more. And when it comes down to soft tissue work for a trainer who is not licensed, so, you know, it's MDs, DOs, physical therapists, chiropractors, PTAs under supervision. Uh, that's a big one because PTAs are most most of the times personal trainers in other aspects of their, of their careers. Uh, and then there's a, a, a number of other professions they are allowed to do so, but everyone else that don't have those licenses, not a certification, a license, two, two different things, they cannot have any intent to manipulate soft tissue. So that could be with the stick, it could be with a foam roller, it could be with your hands, that's a big no-no, but there's, it's really black and white. Uh, people try to make it a gray area, but if you have the intent to elongate or manipulate soft tissue, uh, that is totally illegal if you're not licensed in that state. Guys, if you're loving the information that Matt is spitting out here, head over to drjohnrusson.com and give a read to his article, Eight Prehab Rehab Exercises That Belong in Every Single Training Program. Matt gives great video detail and also coaching notes on his top eight prehab exercises that belong in every single training program. So go over, give that one a read, watch the videos and hit up Matt or myself with any questions. 
All right, guys, let's get back into my conversation with Matt. I want to go back to what you touched upon before. You know, you said the feel-good effect of stretching and foam rolling. Do you think that's what inherently draws people to these practices just over and over, even if they don't see results from them? Absolutely. I mean, look at, you know, you look at a, you know, a, 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 you know, social media or you know, a saturated. Uh, well, I guess a better way to put it is over overwhelmingly loud um, media where there's content pumped every single day, um, most of it being non-helpful. I'm not going to say bad. I, I would just say non-helpful or misguided. And as a as a client who doesn't know their hallux bone from their you know hyoid bone, they don't know what's right and wrong. They don't know what to use and what not to use. They don't know how to prioritize these modalities based on what they specifically need for their specific body. So I, I think what it comes down to is, you know, yes, there should be that that frame of time or that transitional period where you're, you know, playing around with modalities like foam rolling, stretching, breathing, mobility, recovery, et cetera, et cetera, static stretching and all that thing, all those things to fit, to figure out what really it is that you need. So yes, I, I do welcome that kind of a transitional period and, or going to a professional, AKA a physical therapist, a strength conditioning coach, a personal trainer, a qualified professional in the rehab and fitness community, you know, performance coach, whatever you want to call these individuals that can guide you in the right direction and say, Hey, you need to work on X, Y, and Z. You don't, you're, you're pretty adequate in A, B, and C. You know, you have a move on. That's why I think, you know, stuff like the FMS and SFMA are so valuable and powerful. They're short, they're quick. They give you what you need to work on, what you don't need to work on, and then you move forward with that. So I think the big thing is figuring out exactly what it is you need. If I'm someone who works a nine-to-five job, I slouch down all day, I have a pretty pretty junky thoracic spine, I lack an extension and, and you know a rotation, obviously overhead, uh, overhead flexion as well my shoulder, my lower back's quote-unquote always bothering me, it's nagging me, I got tight anterior structures in, in my hip capsules and, and kind of those uh, those tissues and whatnot. Okay, well clearly we know what you need. You're not, you don't, really don't need elbow flexion, you probably have adequate elbow flexion, we don't need to work on those type of drills. So pinpointing the specific needs is very important then going from there and that kind of that funnels into this whole okay let's make your warm-ups more efficient more quick and more to the point rather than you know messing around for a half an hour and only have 20 minutes to lift I mean the goal is and should always be to move weight like to you know develop good movement quality good movement patterns and load those patterns and express power and you know build strength and, and, and build resiliency so these are things we want and it, 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 we're not going to acquire those if we have the inability to, you know, add capacity. If I'm wasting time messing around for half an hour, so I think it, it, these are small little topics within the overall framework of the bigger topic. That is, let's stop wasting time. Let's prioritize our, our, our you know, warm up essentially. Yeah, I, I see stretching, foam rolling being almost like a crack rock, man. That shit is addictive to people because they think that they're getting shit done because it feels good. It's like. Oh man, you know, like, oh, I feel that stretch right there. Yes, I do. And then yep. they get on the roller. Oh, oh, that's a, that's a tough point right there. And then they sit on it, like try to work it out, whatever that may mean to them. And when it doesn't feel that way anymore, it's like, all right, you know, I, I just broke up that scar tissue right there. So it, like, they feel like they're doing something. And then a couple of minutes later, it's like, boom goes right back to where it was yeah, it's, but that's it's just short, it's yeah. physiology i mean it's human yeah. physiology that's that's it you know we're not doing anything mechanical in nature with any of this stuff and i think that is just uh 
a theory that needs to be forgotten about is the mechanical model of stretching and soft tissue work. Like it doesn't exist. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been educated, uh, you know, I'm educated from active release techniques. And I know, you know, since the time that I went through their education process, I remember years ago sitting in class and going through how we're mechanically breaking down, you know, cross linkage scar tissue. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is cool. You know, this is cool stuff. You know, we're breaking this stuff up. Sure. And a couple of years later, you know, I'm doing my research, doing obviously uh, my soft tissue work on my clients, but more so seeing people move and function, getting more experience with it and just came to question it more and more. And I think it was two or three years ago now, I actually did a case study in the cadaver lab at my alma mater, Damon College. And I was actually demonstrating uh, techniques on cadavers, ART techniques on cadavers. And I was literally going to town. These were fully dissected cadavers. I was working on tendons, uh, musculotendinous junctions, and also the muscle bellies themselves. And I was cranking on these things as hard as I possibly could with passive movement. So, I mean, I was on top of this thing, no skin, no nothing, no fascial layers. And I still couldn't really make any marked difference in breaking up any of those tissues. I think there was one where I really had to go hard on and I could see a tiny bit of separation. I think it was on an IT band where it was sitting on the vastus lateralis. And I mean, I, I'm a pretty strong guy and I literally had a dual hand tension as hard as I possibly could with somebody uh, manipulating the knee position. And I think we got like, you could see like a millimeter of difference or something. And at that oh. point, uh, we published that article on my site, my old school site. I think that was like two or three sites ago. And it was cool to see because people are like, oh, that makes more sense now. And <laughs> like, we're, we're actually not breaking this shit up because think about a cadaver and then think about your body. You have skin. You know, most of us have some fat under there. You have all these subcutaneous tissues and then you have the muscle belly and the fascia and uh, the tendons and all this stuff that you're trying to manipulate. So it's really, it's really a neurological phenomenon. It's nothing more, nothing less. Well, especially, you know, the, if I'm grabbing a foam roller, what's the first thing I'm rolling? Oh, well, I got to roll my IT bands, right? Like that's, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, someone you and I both know, he's a clinician. Andrew Millett wrote a great article the other day about that. Like stop rolling your IT bands, do this instead. Uh, speaking to the same things we're talking about because, you know, shit, like oh, I'm going to foam roll my IT bands. Oh, I got to hit my IT bands. Oh, IT bands. Like, okay, well, maybe you don't. Like those are incredibly dense tissues. And they don't really move. And there's no tissue. There's not much tissue change there. So, you know, the great point to kind of bring up and I think that's uh, something that people need to understand more. Now I want to jump into that now because that is the number one thing people are foam rolling is the IT band right along the lateral side of your thigh and you know I read Andrew's piece I thought it was good uh, we publish a piece on my site drjohnrussin.com from legendary strength coach Andrew Reed this past week and he showed his two-day IT band cure which was a 10-minute video pretty fucking sweet uh, guys go over and check that article out but you know he is schooled from Perry Nicholson so mm. you know they have some some pretty different thought processes when it comes to uh, soft tissue work and also movement but you know just getting at what you're actually doing when you're foam rolling the IT band because people say like they swear by it they're like yeah it works you know well what works I think people think that they are making uh, a difference in the tissue quality of their IT bands but in actuality the IT band is a super super thin 
thin, but it's dense, and it's a piece of fascial layer. And the only muscularity goes up really close to the hip in a muscle called the tensor fasciolata. So, you know, technically you can roll the TFL and maybe get a tiny bit of mobility enhancement or flexibility enhancement into like, uh, you know, your leg going back towards your midline and that adduction range. But what are you really doing if you're getting great results from foam rolling your IT band? Most likely, you're not foam rolling your IT band at all. You're sitting right on that vastus lateralis, that lateral quad muscle, or you're sitting behind the IT band where the, you know, the biceps femoris lie. So both of those are prime movers of the hip and knee. So you know those are the things if you do spend enough time and enough energy every single day on. Cranking on it. I think you can see improvement if you're hitting those big muscle groups. But you think it's coming from the IT band because you're just fucking up the the foam rolling. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like, well, are, am I that. off? Am I off on that? No, it's true though because I mean, when people go on foamers, they're wailing away. They're not doing one or two passes. They're wailing away. You know, they're socializing with their buddy. They're on the phone, like they're, you know, which is a whole other topic. But they're wailing away for at least a couple minutes per side. So I mean, absolutely, they're going to move that tissue around and hit the other quote unquote areas surrounding the IT bands, which they don't, they probably don't know what they are. But you're right, they're hitting those um, other areas, which is kind of demonstrating that very very minuscule change, but change nonetheless. Wasn't there uh, there was something I read a couple weeks ago? It, it, it was an article written about foam rolling the IT band, and it was something about like flaring up bursitis and all this bullshit. Like, really, people aren't going like they're not that addicted in foam rolling their IT band that they're getting under these you know superficial layers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some of the stuff uh, you know in theory, yeah, it may be happening, but most likely no. Yeah, no, I agree on that for sure. <laughs> Dude, so like, let, let's jump into our last segment here sure. and get into you know your your thing mobility and corrective exercise i think those are one and the same uh when they're properly executed yep. but you know it's something that is within the the scope for a personal trainer or strength coach which is corrective exercise and mobility but it really tends to be uh getting more popular in physical therapy and rehab so where does it fit into your practice I think it's, you know, one of the biggest things I push. I mean, that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of why I just, well, I went from, I had a brand change, obviously, and I think people, some people have seen that. So I went from mobility one-on-one to movement resilience. And I think the big thing behind that was, you know, absolutely mobility is important, but I think it's it's a big piece to the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. So um, the reason why I changed my name to resilient, um, Movement Resilience was because I'll obviously be offering, you know, movement and massage therapy um, after I'm licensed in July. But, um, you know, in addition to the mobility and corrective exercise, there has to be a strength and a performance in the training component. So um, my, my kind of the tagline or, or what I'm looking for really is resilient movement and resilient strength. So the big thing behind that is, you know, mobility is a huge piece. Uh, movement is a huge piece. You know, strength is a huge piece, and performance is a huge piece. But they all have to be operating on all cylinders and, func- and functioning at high capacities for the engine to to work, so to speak. So, kind of where I come in with my corrective exercise, my mobility, my motor control drills, my breathing drills, recovery drills, and kind of what what you would deem your injury prevention drills. And you know, to me, prevention is just simp- is really just good training, but. Where I add those in is I'll, I'll sprinkle those things everywhere like Frank's Red Hot Sauce. So, you know, at the beginning of the warm absolutely we're doing some of those pieces. You know, in between intraset mobility, intraset correctives and whatnot, absolutely we're doing those pieces. Um, 
toward the end or I guess your regeneration, your, your um, recovery aspects, absolutely we're doing those pieces. On your off days, you know, I have specific, you know, aerobic capacity to mobility days where we're just doing corrective exercises. I want them in that specific heart rate zone, you know, 120, 140, kind of that 60 to 70% heart rate zone that kind of Alex Viata talks about and kind of that, that you know, low intensity set of state, uh, low, intensity, low intensity set of state cardio. That's what we're looking for. Just offers another option or another variation versus just kind of sludging along on the treadmill, which, or the elliptical, which most people do. So I think having a targeted um, heart rate zone on your off days for your aerobic capacity kind of mobility corrective exercise drills, that's why I'll program those in in circuits um, as well as, like I said, so pre, um, during, and post-training. I think they always have a place. And I think, again, we could look at them like a modality. So you follow up the modality with obviously movement. So, you know, you have that open window, so to speak. So that open window after doing some squats, obviously you'll have, have a little bit more hip range of motion. Why not capitalize on that by doing, a, you know, external external rotation or, you know, knee under chest or hammer nail type pigeon type of stretch to kind of get the glutes and the pir- piriformis a little more activated and kind of moving that hip range of motion, so to speak. So um, they really have a home really everywhere in my in my book but again it really comes back to prioritizing where they specifically need to be and what specifically you need so again what is your intent what is your purpose i know these are things i I often repeat but they're very important and i think they should be repeated yeah i think so too and it all starts with a good assessment a good evaluation and Mm -hmm. setting a baseline for the function of your clients and your athletes because nobody i don't care how much you love corrective exercise Nobody is going to be sitting there and be happy after 60 straight minutes of corrective exercises and then leave the gym without getting a training session in. You know, that's just not going to make anyone happy. And the only goal of a corrective exercise is to never fucking do that corrective exercise ever again. Like, (laughs) that's the only goal of it. It's like, do this shit until you remediate your movement and then you will never have to see this again, hopefully, if you're training correctly. And that's what I always say to people. It's like, yeah, we're going to... We're going to nail this thing. I only give a couple correctives at a time very strategically because one, I want those things executed to a T. Like literally, I want every single joint in perfect alignment, a smooth motion, something that just looks good. Like you want to get that thing up on YouTube and Instagram right away. And if they can do that for a couple weeks at a time, most times they never have to see that corrective ever again. And if so, if they uh, regress a tiny bit, we can actually move them up and give them a progression of the, the exercise that they had that mastery level of. Because once you master something to that extent, it's always going to stick with you. And those are the kind of patternings that we're trying to ingrain in our athletes, those kind of movement patternings. And that's like the true measure of a corrective exercise. Like, did it correct your movement for the long run or no? If I give you, or, or for anyone of that nature, a coach or a therapist gives you you know, let's say a bucket list of 20 corrective, chances are, number one, your movement competence is going to go down. You're not going to, um, they're going to be ina- ina- inadequate movement patterns. You're not going to really pick up on what the purpose of each of each drill is or corrective exercise drill is. But more importantly, it's just too much. It, it's overwhelming. You have to focus on a finite amount of, you know, two to four, maybe two to three, somewhere in that small range of um, um, corrective exercises and really own those patterns. If you're not owning those patterns and the movement isn't being corrected, well, what is the purpose in the first place? So, yeah, I think these are things we have to focus on. Like Boyle says, keep it simple, stupid, very short, very sufficient, very to the point and very efficient. It's got to be specific. It's got to have intent. 
Exactly, man. And, you know, at this time, we, we've been over the correctives. We've been over the foam rolling, the stretching. Uh, we had a question coming in. I think it was from Facebook about what the sequence looks like for my specific programming for my pre-training routine. And this is something that I am going to spend the rest of 2016 on. Uh, I have some really, really big things in the work about this pre-training routine and the phasic system. But, you know, just for the sake of this podcast and answering that question, the things that we went over today, uh, making it a number one, number two, number three in the phases here, you know, number one would definitely be foam rolling. Number two you know, foam rolling followed up by stretching, static and dynamic in nature. And then number three would be corrective exercises. Obviously, there's going to be more built on top of that. But uh, those are the first three in my pre-training routine. Matt, what does yours look like? So again, very similar to that. Um, If I had to put them on, you know, a very generalized pattern. um, Okay, yep. Specific soft tissue modalities like foam rolling or soft tissue or lacrosse ball, but very minuscule. It may be one or two, maybe three tops, minimal time there. Um, I always, always, always have someone start with a 90-90 breathing or they may be in the uh, prone turtle shell position or quadruped. Again, very minimal, 30 to 60 seconds there. Just kind of get that realignment, get the rib cage, active, rib cage pelvis alignment, core activated. All right, we're good to go. Um, and then we move into our activation drills, our mobility drills, all ground-based, and then we go into our corrective exercise and then our movement-based stuff, dynamic, and then we're actually moving, getting the CNS fired up, and then we're primed for the lift. So again, very similar along those lines. Um, and I think the big thing is, you know, you and I are speaking on a very, um, you know, general base to what we do. But I think the big thing, the big takeaway is, yes, take these uh, these templates and these generalized kind of, uh, you know, warm-up templates, but also understand that, you know, there are certain individual cases where, okay, you know what, things need to be need to be tweaked a bit based on the individual athlete or individual client. I think it's important to note that, you know, the number one, number two, number three everything needs to be with the same purpose and intent. So Mm -hmm. like if you're working on correcting hip extension, for instance, all three of those things should be trying to help your hip extension. It's not like you're like fucking working on your rotator cuff on one and then you're going down and trying to get, you know, hip external rotation on the next. And then you're working on breathing patterns for like diaphragmatic positioning on the next. Like, yeah, yes, the body is interconnected, but the way that we get function is by just nailing it time after time from different angles, trying to get the same goal. So keep that in mind, guys, when you are going through your pre-training routines. Now, Matt, uh, taking a lot of your time here, but I just want to make sure everyone can get after you on social media, on your website. So just drop all of those and where everyone can find you. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I'm in the process of changing websites, but for the time being, it's just mobility-101.com. It will eventually, uh, very shortly, be transitioned to movementresilience.com. Uh, my Facebook page, Movement Resilience. I'm also, you know, personal page. Feel free to contact me there. Uh, Instagram at Movement Resilience. Twitter at Move Resilience. And obviously, you know, any of my YouTube videos under my personal name. But um, you know, feel free to connect. I always look forward to that, and um, that's where you can kind of find me. Yeah, Matt runs some great social media. Uh, you know, his connection and his energy 
uh, it just goes through thousands and thousands of people online. You know, people can just see his passion. So get over there. And Matt's always got some cool things up his sleeve on his videos and his training videos. Even with uh, the new the new powerlifting videos that I've been seeing the last couple months, man. <laughs> so so when are you competing? When's uh, when are you hitting the platform? Yeah. So uh, again, uh, in the very very early stages here. So by no means am I uh, quote unquote a powerlifter. So I don't want people to think <laughs> that I'm saying that, but you know, I think the bit, so I'll be competing at, um, it's at RPS, it's in New Hampshire on Sunday, April 24th for the big three. Um, I get coached from Greg Robbins from the strength house. Um, I think the big thing with me is, you know, uh, I'm okay saying I suck at certain things and I'm okay, you know, uh, exposing my weaknesses. And I, I think part of the, the reason why I always post my videos for my bench, my squat, my deadlift um, is because not only am I trying to demonstrate, hey, you know, I, I had a great lift today, but it isn't so much in the nature of, hey, like, look what I did. It's more of like, hey, look, I'd like to keep this video logged somewhere so I can refer back to it because my phone can only hold so much content. So I think that's a very important piece to explain to people. But, you know, by all means, uh, I'm very open to, you know, advice from qualified professionals that I respect. So, you know, in the process of me uh, posting those videos, both on my uh, personal accounts and I guess business accounts, um, in addition to the private forum from the Strength House where I receive, you know, updates and thoughts and uh, comments from, you know, people in the group like Greg and Tony B and all them. Um, but the big thing I'm getting at too is I'm allowing others who I, I respect and appreciate like yourself and, and, and clinicians and coaches and practitioners who might have a thing to tell me and friends and colleagues say, hey, you know what, work on this, this and that. Um, but again, as you and I know, that also leaves the door open for, um, you know, quote unquote, other individuals, um, may or may not be in the field who are a little bit, a little bit more dogmatic in their approach and, um, may not see things with, uh, you know, more of a, an open lens. So I guess you have to kind of be careful, but that's just the nature of the beast. So again, you know, it'll be on April 24th. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'd like to hit a thousand total if I can, but, um, I'm not competing against anyone else but myself. And I think, um, that's a message I like to spread to people, you know, just looking to, you know, enhance their performance and movement and become stronger, you know, more resilient versions of themselves. It has to be, you know, you versus you and you improving yourself, you working toward your own specific goals and they have to be measurable and they have to be within reach and you have to really, you know, measure each time you're progressing. So that's a big thing too. So um, that's kind of why I do it. Um, I'm always open to comments and thoughts, but um, just make sure as you comment, just please be in, you know, Bear in mind that it, it, let's keep it professional here and have a, a high level of integrity. Dude, you take a lot of shit on those fucking videos. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think I've given you shit a couple of times, but yeah, well, I mean, anytime I learned early on that, you know, people say the CrossFit crowd's bad, you know, on social media. Fuck that. The powerlifting crowd is brutal. Yeah. Everyone has, you know, what their perfect movement should look like, and everyone's the fucking internet guru expert. So yeah. when you put up uh, your sets, you know, it's a brave thing. But I love seeing it because if you are at the top of your game, which you are, and you're putting out these videos, you're taking constructive feedback from, you know, coaches that you respect and you want to take notes from, you know, you're taking that on top of taking shit from a bunch of idiots out there. But I, I, I love, I love seeing it, man. Like well, I do. I think, John, that's the thing too. Like, you know, uh, I think the big thing too is, uh, you know, I'm not shy by any means. I, I, I you know, I want to be coached just as much as my clients do. And I think, um, yeah, I know for for damn sure I have benefited 
benefited tenfold from being from having a coach and being coached because I'm I, it allows me to provide a better uh, more high quality service to my clients and my athletes and the patients I assist in because it just offers another tool of knowledge and a breadth of, no- of experience that I can offer and, and, and utilize with them as well. So, you know, by all means, it, it's great to definitely receive feedback and whatnot. But, you know, like I said, it allows me to enhance my knowledge in those areas as well, because by no means, again, I, I am not a powerlifter by any means. I consider myself very, very early in the process and very um, inexperienced in the process. I've only been doing this for about a year now, but what it allows me to do is I can actually tie the pieces together in terms of, you know, creating high tension in your core, breathing capacity, rib cage, uh, you know, pelvis over rib cage and rib cage over pelvis rather and understanding where these pieces need to be put together in the whole overall spectrum of fitness, movement, performance, rehab and so on and so forth. So it just offers a different lens for me to look through and it allows me to tie in the pieces because I think that we see these different, um, you know, concepts in our field, and I'm not going to dive into them head first. But we see these different concepts, and we all jump and glue to them. Oh, we got to use it. We got to use it. We got to use it. But maybe if you can tie pieces in together and say, Ah, okay, that makes sense. I think we'll we'll get a better understanding of why these pieces are so important. So um, that's kind of what it's done for me, and I hope you know by but if anything, it helps others from from seeing them. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, that's a wrap. I appreciate you coming on. We're going to have you back this later on this year. And it was a great episode, man. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me, John. I really appreciate it, man. Big thanks to Matt for coming on the Strength Doc podcast today. We had an awesome episode. I love the way that we flowed through the stretching, the foam rolling, the corrective exercises, and then gave some actionable stuff for you guys to go out and execute in your own training and the training of your athletes and clients. We're going to be doing a lot more of that here on Strength Talk Podcast, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Me and Matt are going to be teaming up on some projects later on in the year, so keep the eye out for that. But until next time, guys, I am Dr. John Russin with the Strength Talk Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media.